Today on Ag News Daily. And then we'll actually get to a place where uh, the Chinese will put us in a place where they'll buy more soybeans, buy more American products. I, I think we'll be successful on that. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Flying solo for today, Madison said she was having some uh, Wi-Fi issues there at Iowa State. And gosh, let me tell you what, folks, I do not miss being in college, being on the state or the campus Wi-Fi there, kind of being at the leisure of the man, so to speak. I'm not sure if it's better being an adult and having to deal with it yourself or being frustrated as a college student uh, trying to get Wi-Fi to work on assignments or work or whatever. So just me today. But I do want to share we are, are I'm bringing you the uh, the tidbits, the Q&A section really from Secretary Mike Pompeo's remarks earlier this week in Des Moines, Iowa. I was very impressed with the level of questions asked by folks in the audience. And a lot of commodity groups were there, as I mentioned, corn, soybeans. Um, pork producers, and they had really great questions. I don't know if they were groomed by the commodity groups to ask those specific questions, but as a media member, not being allowed to ask questions themselves, like I, that's very frustrating in itself, but I was very impressed with the quality of questions. And believe me, I tried to ask a question. Um, I was told, no, I couldn't. Media can't ask a question, so I guess maybe I shouldn't have worn a media badge, but Good good questions and comments. He did his best to answer, you know, of course, to the best of his ability. There are things he can and can't say, so I thought he did a pretty good job overall. And a lot of that time was spent on trade remarks, especially trade when dealing with China. Just today, the Commerce Department's final trade report was released for 2018, and it's a 30-page document, so I tried to go through and really pull out some of the key highlights here. For 2018, the goods and services deficit was $621 billion, up $68.8 billion um, from 2017. As far as the trade deficit with China went, it was increased, uh, let's see, about $3.2 billion, and... The trade bill was increased $3.2 billion in December. Um, exports increased a fourth of a billion dollars and imports imports increased $3.6 billion. So deficits with Mexico and India, excuse me, Mexico increased and India decreased. Just a couple of highlights there to say the least. But folks were expecting the prediction to be more than $400 billion, and we did not see that happen, so I guess that's one highlight from the report. Of course, a lot of uncertainty remains in the marketplace as we look at the trade front and the ag economy. Purdue University puts together the ag economy and showed their latest report came out just yesterday, Tuesday, March 5th, and the overall sentiment was that ag producer sentiment declines in February as farmers are less optimistic about current conditions and the commodity price outlook. Just to highlight a couple of things from that report, I think the big takeaways for me at least was large farm investments index declined, meaning folks are less favorable or think now is um, not really a good time to make those big ticket item purchases. They also were not confident. Apparently the MFP payments helped 
um, increase producer sentiment and, and increase producers' overall feeling about the general ag economy. That uh, quickly was eroded. They're not so confident anymore, especially when you look at MFP payments not coming out now for another set. And another interesting little tidbit from that report was the farmland evaluation. Folks were asked to basically share their views over the next five years of whether or not farmland was a good investment or not. And interestingly enough, when asked to evaluate farmland as an investment, the percentage of farmers rating it as a good investment rose for the fourth month in a row to 68% of producers interviewed saying farmland is a good investment. And I think you'll see that hold true. Uh, Farmers remains about the same when asked what expectations do they have to see as far as farmland prices over the next couple of years, five years or so. So those are really some of the big staples from that report. And you can find it for yourself if you're interested in reading through the nitty gritty. Again, that is Purdue University's Ag Economy Barometer. Well, trade is certainly on the agenda for many folks this week in Washington, D.C., including U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, who is meeting with the EU's um, Commissioner Cecilia Malmstrom. That those talks kick off today, and we will continue to keep you updated as we know what's going on. As far as I read in the reports and news, ag is not, you know, of course, being talked about today, but the EU is really pushing their manufacturing sector and, and wanting to incorporate incorporate that into a big part of this trade deal moving forward. So we'll see what happens with that. And other trade news, leaders of Mexico's agricultural sector are urging their administration in Mexico to, quote, mirror measures on U.S. farm imports during this politically sensitive time on products such as yellow corn and poultry Basically, in an effort here to counter uh, decades of subsidized imports from the United States, or so they claim, and as well as, I mean, it is a little political here because of those Section 232 tariffs imposed on Mexican steel and aluminum by the Trump administration last year. The three-month-old government of President Andres Manuel López Obrador is currently working on an updated list of products imported from the United States on which to possibly apply a second round of tariffs in response to these 232 tariffs. And so last June, we saw Mexican imposed tariffs uh, jump between 15 to 25% on steel and aluminum products. And we're now seeing the Mexican president, the current Mexican president, unhappy about this and threatening to slap some tariffs on other U.S. products if we don't see something happen. And I think this is just shows how much more time-sensitive the USMCA agreement is to get that baby signed and put on, moved on. It was interesting. I was talking to, I think it was, I, it was a producer, I think, the other day, or a, or a commodity broker. I can't remember who it was now off the top of my head. But, you know, they said, I believe it was it was at Pompeo's event, so I'm guessing it was a a producer. And they said, you know, he didn't really make any comments about Canada. So what's Canada doing in all of this? It's been really focused so far on Mexico. Canada's been laying low on the back burner. But I'm sure that they have things they're upset about as well. And I'm sure that we're going to hear about that here in the news. But uh, Pompeo does make some comments, and a question was asked. And you'll hear that here in just a moment about 
you know, where is USMCA sitting today? Why aren't we seeing things done? What's being held up in Congress on that side of things domestically? And uh, do stay tuned for his answer. I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to make you guys stay tuned and listen up for that. In other news, kind of related to really just producer sentiment and, and the outlook really for 2019, farm earnings are expected to rise 10% in 2019, according to the latest USDA's ERS service projected on Wednesday, that net farm income would be at about $69.4 billion, which is up actually $6.3 billion from 2017. Um, however, it's still below the average level for the past two decades and far under recent peaks, according to that latest estimate, which was really the years of 2012, 13, kind of the the uh, beginning to end of 14, we saw prices do really well for producers. And those numbers, the latest, uh, the latest estimate that was released on Wednesday is down still pretty significantly from the last round of estimates or forecasts, which was released in February. We saw in February USDA anticipating net farm income topping 77.6 billion dollars. And as of their latest estimates, $69.4 billion. So still up, of course, from 2018. We'll see if that really comes to fruition. I've been talking to a lot of folks who have said, you know, they should really have offered MFP payments in 2019 as well because these effects are still into 2019 and a lot of producers may have not marketed crops ahead in 2018 and now they're facing low commodity prices again in 2019 with old crops still in the bin or you know pigs and cattle or whatever on the lots so it's seeing a delayed effect definitely in some industries and uh, we might still take see that to take a toll on the balance sheets well, related to livestock-related news, we know African swine fever has been plaguing China. And interestingly enough, I think that's the last question asked to Secretary Pompeo that I included in today's Q&A session. You know, what's the ground view of African swine fever? He was over there apparently not too long ago in China. And, it's, and, and they said, what did you see in China when you were there? Did you see African swine fever taking hold of the industry more than the media is reporting? And uh, like I said, do stay tuned for that answer. But on a U.S. front, the USDA announced measures on Wednesday to prevent the spread of African swine fever as they're still preparing for that risk to touch the shores of U.S. soil, or in case it does, really. And in coordination with the pork industry, USDA's Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Greg Ibach, announced the following enhanced activities to intensify multi-agency efforts towards the prevention of the disease. Essentially, a lot of it is focused on ground level or first point of entry here into the United States, so increasing screenings at the airport, um, expanding that beagle brigade or the you know team of dogs, the team of beagle dogs at U.S. airports and seaports, um, inspecting garbage and feeding facilities, you know, increasing producer awareness as well, working with the pork industry, NPPC, etc., to increase biosecurity bio screening, producer awareness, and also really just working on continuing to do research to see what they can do. 
as far as preventative measures on kind of the swine health side of things. So also working with officials in Canada and Mexico to work on a North American focused um, idea, essentially, if this were to touch the shores of somewhere in North America. So that is all of the news I had for today. I'm going to touch over here on the commodity markets. And folks, I tell you what, it is not pretty today. Soybeans kind of crapped the bed here down quite a few cents on the day. It's essential to have folks in your back pocket like folks at the Zaner Group. I'm telling you what, I don't even trade with Ted and I text him probably at least once or twice a week asking him what's going on in the commodity markets if I've got a question like today when they really just reacted out of nowhere. But he is more than happy to take your questions, help you work on improving your bottom line. Give him a call today at 312-277-0050. Looking across the screen today, as I mentioned, not pretty, especially in the grain markets. The corn contract march down three and a half cents at 362 and a half. The May down three and a quarter at 372 and a half. In the soybean pits, the March contract dropped 11 and a half cents on the day down to 889 and three quarters. The May down 11 and three quarters to end at 902 even. The November down 11 and a half to close at 936 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, the March contract down 13 and three quarters cents at 440 and a half. They couldn't keep up after yesterday's slate gains on the week. The May contract down 12 and three quarters cents to end at 450. And hopping over into the livestock markets, the story is still pretty much the same there as well, read on the screen, except for the April live cattle contract up seven cents on the day at 128.90. The June down 22.5 cents to close at 119.62.5. In the feeder cattle pits, continued weakness in the March contract, cutting 22.5 cents to close at 140.65. The April taking away 75 cents off the board today to close at 143.65. In the lean hog markets, they are not spurred by any movement here in African swine fever. The April contract down 82.5 cents to close at 57.07.5. The May down 40 to close at $66 even. And rounding out our markets, of course, we've got to talk about dairy. We've got some dairy producers listening. And actually, quick dairy plug, if any of you are going to be at the PDPW Dairy Conference next week in Madison, Wisconsin, give me a shout on Twitter or Facebook at DelaneyHowell07, or you can tag us on at Daily. I might be coming to the conference to learn a little bit more about the dairy industry. Well, today's March Class 3 milk futures up three cents on the day to end at 1515 the April up 11 cents to close at 1512. And of course, without further ado, here are really some of the Q&As focused on agriculture and trade given to Secretary Mike Pompeo. Any question? Yes, sir. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you and the ambassador for coming to visit us. Uh, and we'd like to thank you for all your hard work on our behalf. And we know it's hard work out there. And I'd like to thank you for men of integrity working on our behalf. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, my question is this. Uh, what are some of the major obstacles left in the trade negotiations with China? So I won't surprise. So I, I can't give away the details of where they're still working or the exact details of what's going on, but it, it, it won't surprise you what, what's really difficult. Um, the issue of, uh, of opening up markets and access is a hard one for sure, but not the hardest of the issues. I, I, think, I think we'll actually get to a place where uh, the Chinese will put us in a place where they'll buy more soybeans, buy more American products. I, I think we'll be successful on that. 
the more complicated issues are around the structural challenges. Structural challenges that, that not only impact agriculture, but manufacturing services, uh, frankly, all sellers of goods and services inside of China. Uh, this risk of IP stealing, uh, forced technology transfer, about which I spoke in my remarks, is real and difficult and not something the Chinese are going to give up easily. And then you attach on the backside of that uh, that you need more than just a promise to undo those structural things. You need a mechanism by which those commitments can be enforced. And, and that's the focus. It's where uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, Secretary Mnuchin, and the trade team are fully engaged. They have made progress on every one of those components of the agreement. They truly have. I've, I've seen that. And I know Ambassador Branstad has seen that as well. So real progress on every one of those elements. But if you ask what the hurdles that are that remain, it's those uh, last couple items that will inevitably prove tricky, but which uh, I'm very, very hopeful we'll be able to wrap up and get a, a truly successful outcome for the United States and for American ag. Yes, sir. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Uh, Secretary Pompeo, I also want to thank you for uh, coming here to Iowa and visiting. Uh, my grandfather in 1932 left Clearwater, Kansas, to uh, come to Iowa because uh, it just get too dry down there for him. <laughs> Uh, life was better in Iowa, and, and I'm uh, a lifelong. Uh, tell the people clear what he said that. <laughs> no, no, I, I still, I still got relatives down there, uh, and my great great aunt still living in Wichita as yeah. well. Um, uh, I'm a pig farmer here in Central Iowa. Our family's been involved in in pork production, corn, soybeans as well. Um, we're still dealing with uh, retaliatory tariffs, not only from China but also from Mexico. Uh, the pork industry is is very important to the state of Iowa and really the whole Midwest, and we've really taken a double whammy. And uh, so could you address maybe the, the Mexican issue as well, please? So this risk of retaliatory tariffs, you've seen it in pork, we've seen it in other places as well, is real. Uh, the president's deeply aware of this, the trade teams are all aware, but we're, we're working, when we get a comprehensive agreement, we now have a relatively comprehensive agreement in the USMCA, we're working to clean up all of these issues alongside of that. And I, I hesitate to get too far out over my skis, but I'm optimistic that we'll we'll get that that we'll get resolution and get pulled back some of these risks from retaliatory tariffs. Uh, but I but I do want to emphasize um, those commitments are as good as the paper they're written on. If there's not a mechanism that permits the United States to respond in a way that doesn't require us going into court someplace in a country that doesn't have the rule of law, that doesn't have an advanced justice system, uh, we have to make sure that when we um, we sign up for those things and we fix them that we really have. There's a long history, you would, you would probably know this history better than I do, a long history of us uh, having celebrations, having signing ceremonies, uh, everyone thinking, boy, we've put this problem to rest, only to find that in relatively short order we didn't really solve much. And, uh, and we, we are trying not to, we're trying to make original mistakes not repeat the past ones. Uh, we're, we're trying to make sure we don't fall down the same trap that, that American trade negotiators have done so many times. Uh, we're, we're deeply aware of these retaliatory tariff issues. We know how much they impact uh, you and companies and uh, businesses like yours. I know that they're in the front of our mind, and we're, we're working our way to put, put America in a place where uh, our businesses don't suffer them. Yeah, Mr. Secretary, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, as soybean farmers, you know, have been hit particularly hard uh, with the tariffs. Uh, we, we, the market facilitation provided uh, much needed relief. And my question would be, we've heard comments that 
Uh, maybe tariffs could be dropped on certain uh, products or commodities. I did, and I know in the negotiating process you can't uh, show your cards, but is there a chance that tariffs on soybeans could be dropped in exchange for something else, make some concessions, and then some of these more tricky issues like intellectual property that take a lot of time and a lot of work could be could be put off or worked on, continue to be worked on while there's some relief for uh, uh, some of the ag products? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You saw the president make the request that the Chinese do that. I think it was on Friday of last week. Uh, he asked the Chinese, given the status of the negotiations uh, and the fact that he made the decision on the 1st of March not to increase tariffs, something that he had previously said that he would do, he picked a date certain, um, he'd, he'd ask them to reduce um, some piece of their tariffs as well. I, so best I know, we haven't received an, a formal response to that. Um, beyond that, I don't really want to comment too much uh, for the rest of the ambassador, ambassador Lighthizer and Secretary Mnuchin will kill me. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it is a, it's a good question. It's something I know um, they're giving due thought to. Yes, sir. Ambassador, thank you, or Mr. Secretary, thank you for being here today, and Ambassador Branstead, and the work you're doing on our IP, protecting that. You've heard it from everyone else around the room. And I'm a corn farmer in northeast Iowa. You've heard from hog producers, cattle producer, perhaps, and some soybean farmers. And we all invest money in our checkoffs, commodity checkoffs that help build these markets. And we rely heavily on investing in these markets and building them over time. They, we build great relationships. They are important for sending our products. You know all this, I'm certain. Yeah. Um, Mexico, right next door, is important to all of us. Canada also. We dearly need to see USMCA signed and done. One of the hurdles for that is the steel and aluminum tariffs. And from getting that signed, what are the thoughts on getting those uh, removed and helping this pro that, that agreement move forward? Uh, uh, fair question. Let me say this. I am, uh, I am very confident that there are enough votes to pass, the, to get the USMCA moved through our government, through the United States government, um, and without um, getting in the business of other sovereign nations' decision-making processes, I am confident that those countries, too, will conclude that this deal is their best outcome, and they'll move forward. I, I truly believe that. How we'll handle these 232 tariffs as part of that, I think, remains to be seen. Um, but as I've engaged with my, with uh, Foreign Minister Freeland and uh, the new foreign minister, Marcelo Brard, in Mexico, I, I think we're in pretty good place getting each of those two countries uh, to move forward with this agreement. Uh, you never want to uh, count your chickens or pigs or anything before they hatch or before they grow up, um, but I, I feel pretty good about that. Unless it becomes a real political football in Washington, I, I think we'll uh, come the end of this year have an agreement. Yes, sir. John Maxwell, Eastern Iowa Dairyman. Would you comment on any kind of time frame? Because every day that marches on, it's it's getting yeah. tougher and tougher. And uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you remember I said I'd answer almost anything. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, I, I, I'm not trying to be shorter. I, I, I completely I would not take your question seriously. I, I do. Uh, I am uh, I am president who is enormously sympathetic to what you all are going through, um, but I, I I wouldn't want to predict a date or a week or how this is gonna uh, gonna fall. I've been part of too many of these negotiations that truly they look like their home. They look like you you see a path forward only to find that there was something buried somewhere, and and that there's risk that that happens here as well.
Yes, let's get the microphone. Yes, yes, sir. Secretary Pompeo, thank you for uh, being here today. I would like to ask a question, uh, yet another question on trade. Um, with the loss of the TPP, do you see a, a, a bilateral trade agreement? I know there's been news um, on some work with Japan. Do you see that coming soon? I do. been some real progress made. There, there are, we, we, there's an enormous amount of focus on China and the trade negotiated with China. I completely get why uh, that dominates the news, but we have uh, efforts ongoing in China. Uh, there's work that's being done with the EU. Our, our task, the U.S. government's task, the State Department's task, and trade representative's task isn't confined solely to the markets in China. Um, we need to get market access, uh, good rules-based trade uh, with each of those countries. And I, I will I had an ambassador, ambassador to the United Kingdom, uh, said the other day, he went, he, he just, he said, look, they, they've been, in, in the EU, they've been smearing the quality of our food. They've been saying things about the quality of our food that just simply aren't true. We have an obligation, too, to make sure that facts are out there. Uh, we, we deliver consistent, stable, affordable, high-yield, high-quality food products all around the world, and uh, where they, the folks use these, um, these myths to try and knock down our capacity to sell into the market so that these countries can protect their farmers. Uh, the State Department has an obligation to fix that, too, and that goes every place in the world. Uh, you know, Vietnam, uh, well, we talked about trade uh, on, our, on our trip to Hanoi. People forget we actually met with the Vietnamese as well, uh, in addition to uh, the, the reason we departed there. I think Vietnam is going to make big steps forward as well. Um, they made a number of offers while they're there. I'm not at liberty to disclose them yet, um, but things that you all would be very happy with. It's a reasonably market right about it. Uh, 9,700 million people in Vietnam, not quite as wealthy as you see in other places, um, but certainly making real strides. A larger middle class there is inevitable, and it'll be a very important market for, for you all here in Iowa. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, almost certainly a bilateral agreement with the Vietnamese. It may not even be a formal trade agreement. It may be just elements of what you would see in a normal trade agreement, full-on full full free trade agreement. And I, to your point on doing it, would, we could do this piecemeal and get a really good outcome, a really good quick hit, which I think would be great, given the conditions we're in today. Secretary, thank you so much for being here. As a Midwest farmer, you understand the power of a handshake deal. Being a former director of the Central Intelligence Agency and now in your current position, I'm sure you understand that facts really matter. And with the Chinese, we see that there's some flexibility with facts. Um, I work for Iowa Select Farms. We're the largest pork producer here in the state of Iowa. African swine fever is a huge problem for um, the Chinese right now and across the, the world, actually. And we're not getting good facts from them. So twofold question. Um, when your time there, did you see or hear anything about African swine fever? You could share with us from a first-hand experience? And secondly, how does this flexibility with facts play into trade negotiations with the Chinese government? So when, when I was there on the recent trip, it, it was raised. We talked about it some. Ambassador Branstead has been uh, very engaged on this issue to try and understand the scope, the challenge, uh, all of the various characteristics of the risk that is presented to that. And um, I, I think I'll just leave it at that. With, with respect to being fact-challenged, you should know that there are many countries around the world that present fact-challenged situations to the United States. Um, indeed, some of our friends from time to time. Uh, our task uh, is to uh, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. How's that for a good analogy here in Iowa? Uh, 
it's it's a it's a it's a real challenge. And one of the things that we have a I think an absolute duty to do is provide the moral clarity around that. Uh, when countries are engaged in activities, uh, sometimes so far as information campaigns, uh, disinformation campaigns, uh, we have an obligation to call it out uh, from whatever voice uh, that information is emanating. Uh, when we do that, um, I think we achieve some level of deterrence, uh, but most importantly, I think we protect uh, America. Uh, that is, in the sense, um, we remain a country that does act in ways that are very fact-based. You should know. Uh, I'm so proud to represent the 75,000 people in the United States Department of State. When I when I travel the world, I'll hear from our counterparts all over that, uh, you know, Mike, we, 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 we learn a lot from the United States. You all help us. You provide foreign aid, whatever it is, the assistance might be. But one of the things that you bring to my country is people of integrity. We, we see how uh, your diplomats work. We see how hard they work. We see how they're honest. We see how they don't show up with uh, paper bags full of cash to get a deal done. We see how it is uh, that they interact with their colleagues, that they treat every human being with the dignity and respect that they deserve. Um, they see that. They see the representation of these core understandings of the United States of America, which are um, part of what you're talking about with respect to fact-based presentations. Um, it's literally the case that when I enter a room to try and wrap up a negotiation, whether it's us trying to complete a trade deal or an arms weapon sale or uh, getting permission for our embassy to have more people, whatever it is, um, our counterparts know that whatever it is I tell them will be truthful, that we won't be playing games, that we won't be engaged in a, in a series of deceits. Uh, it's not that we don't make mistakes. It's not that we don't get things wrong. Um, but we're showing up with a facts-based presentation, a fact-based presentation on behalf of the United States of America, something you all uh, should be incredibly proud of. And I wish it was the case that there were fewer, there were more countries that engaged in international activity in the same way that we do. Again, that was Secretary Mike Pompeo from this week's address here at the World Food Prize in Des Moines, Iowa. Folks, if you're interested in hearing his remarks before the Q&A section, feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook or on Twitter or on our website, globalagnetwork.com. I've got those, but I really felt the Q&A section highlighted, you know, more of what he was trying to accomplish here than his 10 to 15 minutes remarks before the Q&A. But if you're interested in those, I'd be more than happy to uh, shoot those over to you. With that, I'm going to let you all go. (laughs) 